and we hear it every single day. You hear about the notes on people's cars who park in accessible parking, and they're the most mean, demeaning notes ever that people put on people's windshields. Nobody wants to park there. They know that they could be ridiculed. <laughs> One of the fun bumper stickers we have that says, you can have my parking space, take my disability with it. Jeez. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's like, hey, you think it's a privilege to park here? Yeah. Try living with what these people are living with. That was Wayne Cannell speaking about just one of the challenges that people with invisible disabilities face in society. People living with invisible disabilities is our focus on this episode, episode number 67 of Looking Forward. Welcome to Looking Forward, where we speak with experts about marketplace and societal trends, and most importantly, how they might affect you. I'm Jeff Ostroff, the host of Looking Forward. If you're like me, you're fascinated by trends in the future. In fact, several years ago, that was one of the things I focused on in a book I wrote. Hi, everyone. Today, we'll be discussing something that directly affects a significant percentage of the estimated 1.2 billion people around the world who have disabilities. If you are not one of these individuals, Odds are, they are one of your family members or friends. I'm speaking about those who have invisible disabilities. In other words, they don't use an assistive device like a cane or wheelchair. This means that most of us have no idea of the challenges these people deal with day after day, not even some of their own family members. In part one of this two-part series, we're going to learn more about those with invisible disabilities the challenges they face, the improvements that are being made on their behalf, and about an organization that is working tirelessly to advocate for them. In part two, we'll cover such things as how things have evolved over the past couple of decades for those with invisible disabilities, COVID's impact, what the future might look like, what opportunities this may present, and more. To help us with all this, we're going to speak with an expert on this topic. He's Wayne Cannell. Wayne Cannell is president and CEO of the Invisible Disabilities Association. Wayne founded IDA in 1996 out of the desire to educate friends and family about his wife Sherry's debilitating illness. Soon afterwards, people around the globe began sending emails sharing how IDA had changed their relationships with their loved ones. Wayne's background fueled his passion for helping people living with illness, pain, and disability. His mission and efforts helped quickly launch IDA into a worldwide outreach for millions living daily with invisible disabilities. These days, Wayne spends most of his evenings, weekends, vacations, and holidays volunteering for IDA. During daytime hours, Wayne is focused on managing the telecom infrastructure team for Dish Network and Sling TV. He is also founder and president of the Dish Disability Advocates Network, a Dish employee resource group. He loves sharing and blogging about the great work of IDA and advocating on behalf of all people living daily with illness, pain, and disability. Wayne has been given the opportunity to speak at many organizations and businesses over the years about invisible disabilities, as well as share via local and national TV and radio. Wayne is also co-author of the book, But You Look Good, 
How to Encourage and Understand People Living with Illness and Pain. Hi, Wayne. Welcome to Looking Forward. Oh, thanks, Jeff. I've been looking forward to this, really, truly. Thank you. <laughs> you said the magic words, Wayne. Thank you. Wayne, you've been involved in educating and supporting people living daily with illness, pain, and disability for many years. And you also provide much assistance to their caregivers. And we've done programs that relate to caregivers. And in my earlier career, I was very much involved in caregivers. So I think that's terrific. I know that your interest in doing this was sparked by your wife, Sherry's debilitating illness. Can you please tell our listeners a little bit more about that? And what motivated you, Wayne, to get so deeply involved in this noble effort? Well, thank, thanks, Jeff. I really appreciate it. And I'll tell you, the story, um, you know, I had no idea I would get involved in anything disabilities um, when I was younger. You know, I always wanted to grow up and be an engineer. So uh, I met my wife. Uh, fascinating. She walked into a, a electronic store I was managing. So I was involved in electronics. I love electronics. She walked in. I was uh, smitten with this beautiful, funny gal that walked in. I go, I'm going to marry her. Well, <laughs> yeah, I did. So a couple of years later, um, we got married. But in the meantime, uh, one of the things that she has shared with me is that in 1991, so we met in 92, she was diagnosed with primary progressive multiple sclerosis. Mm. And I kind of say that's that's MS with no good days. You know, people can have relapsing MS where it's kind of sometimes it's bad and then they, they relapse and sometimes they come back out of it. Um, but at the age of 27, 1991, she was no longer able to work. A couple of college degrees, musical theater major, actress, model all these things. And at the prime, really prime of her life, as she started really launching into a career in those things, um, she was uh, struck down with this, uh, with MS. Um, she was also had a lot of pain and MS is not necessarily a pain disease per se, but we determined in 1992, after we met, she was also diagnosed with Lyme disease from a tick bite, which we can trace back to when she was 14 visiting Arkansas. You know, I didn't think anything really of it. I'm just like, you know, this is an amazing woman. I want to marry her. We got married in 94. Um, in fact, we'll be celebrating uh, 27 years this year. We're very excited about that. Um, Excellent. Yeah, thank you. We got married in 94. And then in 96, she coined the phrase invisible disabilities. And the reason why she coined that phrase is because um, we would park in accessible parking. You know, we had the placard, we put it up, we parked there because she couldn't walk very far. Um, or if she could walk into the store, she'd have to use the little cart in the store. She was just in pain from head to toe, brain fog, and a whole host of other things. And she said, I think I'm invisible disability because nobody can see because I'm not in a wheelchair, right? I'm not using something that they can see. And they think, you know, here she is in a model. They're thinking, one, she's not a senior citizen. You know, she's not, she's not in a wheelchair. She shouldn't be parking in those spots. So we launched the organization uh, in uh, 1996. And in 1997, we put up a website. And the website was really based upon some of the pamphlets. She wrote a few pamphlets for friends and family because she just got frustrated. They'd ask her all the time. And so she, she finally just said, I'll just put it in writing. She, and our first pamphlet she wrote was called Don't Judge by Appearances, which is about accessible parking. And I love the last line in the, in the pamphlet. It says, the person you're graciously trying to defend. I mean, that's the reason why we get frustrated. People park there, right? We want people who have the right to park there. And so the person you're graciously trying to defend may be standing in front of you, mm. not in a wheelchair, but they may be standing in front of you. Yes. And, and we have a tendency not to believe these people. And so we launched a website in 1997. 
we had 20,000 people a month coming to the site in 1997. Wow. Now you have to understand the internet had only been around a few years and that was the year before Google existed. Google went online in 98, right? And we had people from Australia, New Zealand, Canada, all over the US. And here's what they said. You put into words what we've been trying to tell our friends and family when they didn't believe us. They thought we were making up fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue or multiple sclerosis. You know, people think, well, MS, is that MD? You know, is that Jerry Lewis's thing? No, that's multiple, excuse me, that's a muscular dystrophy. It's totally different than multiple sclerosis. We get them all mixed up and we just don't know what's going on. So that's how the organization got launched. Uh, we wrote a book in 1998 called But You Look Good. And I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that. Okay. And in 2004, we incorporated it as a nonprofit. And here we are over 25 years later. And the term invisible disabilities you is a commonplace term now that that started because my wife said, this is what I've got. This is what I'm dealing with. That's quite a story, Wayne. One of the most important things you said there that really has me thinking more is the idea that we see people who at least outwardly look like they're in perfectly great shape and nobody really knows how much pain or suffering they might be dealing with. And I have come upon this also with people who have mental health conditions. You right. have no idea. And many of them are disabled because of that as well. Wayne, you alluded to the organization that you founded many years ago with Sherry, the Invisible Disabilities Association. Can you please share with our audience what IDA's mission is and some of the work that IDA does? Yeah, so I want to talk about a couple of quick terms here just so we understand them. So I want to give you the term invisible disability, which is our definition of it. You know, it's the symptoms of an illness really is what it is. It's not a specific illness per se or a disability even. It can be a chronic illness. It can be chronic pain. It can be a disability. It can be an injury, but it's really those symptoms like pain, fatigue, you know, cognitive impairments, the brain injuries. Um, you talked about mental health. That's part of it. It could be hearing loss. It can be, you know, uh, blindness, all those things that are truly invisible that we don't see. Those are the things that are really and you know, to the onlooker, you can't see them, as you mentioned, right? A lot of times you don't notice them. And many illnesses or disabilities might have a physical component you might see, you know, but it's the invisible component that we don't understand. We see somebody in a wheelchair, we get, oh, they have a disability. It's pretty simple to understand they're in a wheelchair, right? But we, what we don't know is, and I would say about wheelchairs is, you know, I'm in Colorado, there's sled hockey, rugby, basketball, skiing, you know, a wheelchair doesn't necessarily limit you. I would say the main thing limits you from climbing stairs, but not anymore. They got like wheelchairs that have treads on them and all kinds of stuff. I mean, we have yeah. come up with amazing technology to allow people. So it's not necessarily the wheelchair per se, but what if the person has chronic pain or what if they have PTSD or what if they have diabetes? What if they have one of these other things that that's what keeps them from maybe uh, being able to do life to its fullest, as you would you had said. So I also want to talk about disability and disabled, because there's this big myth about the difference between those two. Disability is the, is the single thing where it's something that impacts your major life activity. That's what a disability is. And you can, through the use of assistive device, somebody maybe who has um, a depression may be using medicine as their assistive device, right? So, or it may be a wheelchair, or maybe a cane, and those things that allow us to do things. People who have lost a limb 
a lot of times we'll get it, you know, they'll get a prosthetic and they're able to run an Ironman, right? So that's what a disability is. Now, disabled is, is where they're typically unable to work because of that. Not that they don't want to. <laughs> My wife would love to work, right? In yeah. fact, people sometimes say, well, you're lucky you can't work. She's like, are you kidding? You know, I would love, you know, she would love to work, right? And so that's what disabled is. And sometimes we get those mixed up. And that's where we'll see people that'll say, I'm disabled. They capitalize the A because they're like, I'm able, don't call me disabled. And the reality is we're using the wrong term anyways. They have a disability. We shouldn't label them as disabled anyways, right? The disabled is for people who are unable to work in those things. So I just want to talk a little bit about those definitions, but really invisible disabilities, our mission is to encourage, to educate, and to connect people and organizations touched by illness, pain, and disability around the globe. Now, the word touched is very critical. Touched means it's a person with a disability or a caregiver, as you mentioned earlier. It's everybody, you know, we are impacted somehow by a friend or family member who has a disability or maybe even ourselves. And so what that does is that touch is really critical because we found originally is we had to educate people, caregivers, because they didn't even think they were a caregiver because they didn't believe their family member had an illness. Mm. Right. So so they're not thinking they're a caregiver at all. So by educating them, bringing awareness that what their loved one is going through is real, even though they can't see it, then maybe they can become a caregiver in a sense. And by the way, I call them caregivers and not caretakers. Caretakers sound too much like we're taking something away. Givers is where you give out of your heart. And that's why we call them a caregiver. I agree with that. One of the things you've pointed out there, and we'll talk about it a little more later Wayne, is that this is indeed a global organization. Now, we're not going to focus so much on this today, Wayne, but you're doing a lot of things to help those who have disabilities. And one of those things is the work that you're doing with the DISH Disability Advocates Network, which you also founded in HeadUp. Can you say a few words about that? Because I know that you do work for the DISH Network. Right. Yeah. So, Invisible Disabilities has been all volunteer until about 2018 when we finally brought on our first employee, but I still volunteer full-time as the CEO, so I have a day job. You know, I need to be able to take care of my bride, and so that's what I do. I, mm-hmm. I work at Dish Network. I'm actually a manager uh, managing their telecom uh, in one of their divisions. So one of the things that a lot of corporations have are what are called employee resource groups. They call them affinity groups, and what they are is they're groups that are based upon A lot of times uh, um, involved in um, um, minority or different, uh, you know, groups where we come together, you know, Um, so at DISH, we have like the African-American network, we have out at DISH, we have DISH women, Um, we have, uh, you know, different groups that are involved. And so what I have been involved in in the past, not only at DISH, but at previous companies is a group with disabilities. We call it the DISH Disability Advocates Network because it's not about ability, because some people are unable to do things and we don't want to think of them less because they are, because they can't work. It's not, you know, we don't want to, and that's a problem with people with disabilities is that we look down on people because they have them and we think they're the cause or the blame, even though maybe they did something that injured them. We shouldn't place blame on people. It can happen to anybody and anybody can become part of the group, right? <laughs> it's one of those, it's one of those minority groups that, uh, you know, it's the largest minority group in the world. So I founded a disability advocates group and it's an employee resource group. Um, one of the things that Invisible Disabilities Association does, we speak at these groups around the nation. We're brought in to uh, actually, we've, we've been involved in launching groups at, at corporations. We'll come in and talk to their, 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 the corporations. And a big part of it is 
Corporations that do any kind of business with a government, which is most major corporations, they're asked to hire 7% of their population with disabilities. Uh, the difficulty is they look around and they maybe see a wheelchair and they maybe see somebody with a white cane. They may see somebody with, you know, headphones or, or glasses or a magnified screen, but then they're looking around, where's everybody else? Well, 80% of the people that have a disability, it's invisible. And so what we're trying to do is, is help people, especially corporations and, and educational institutions, to make it safe for people to disclose because they have to self-disclose, to make it safe where they feel like they're valued, right? Because this is, the, this is why Invisible Disabilities Association exists, because people don't feel valued and they don't feel believed. I got you. You know, I should have you expand just a little bit, Wayne, on some specific things that the Invisible Disabilities Association does. Education, you started to allude to it there. Can you speak to some specific things that IDA does? Right, so a big part of it, what we do is we provide education through our website. We have a bunch of pamphlets. We have the book, But You Look Good. But You Look Good is how to, uh, uh, how to encourage and understand people living with uh, illness and pain, because what happens is we don't know what to say there's often, to, I call it learning the language of invisible disabilities. It's a different language in a sense. When you ask a friend who's been chronically ill for 30 years, every time you see them and you say, how are you feeling? It puts them in an awkward position, right? Mm. Because the question is, if they say fine, they're lying. If they start to tell you about it, they're like, no, I'm feeling horrible. Then maybe you don't want to hear it. Yes. <laughs> That's why you ask that question. But if we change a nuance the, and we ask a different question, we say, how are you doing? Because they may be doing okay today, but their feeling is horrible because they've been they've been in pain for 30 years. It didn't change, right? But we have this tendency to do those things. You know, that's some of the language or things like, uh, and the book will tell you there's nine things that, are, that you can say that are encouraging. There's nine things that are discouraging. You've probably heard the phrase where somebody says, you know, they talk about, you know, the doctor's visits are going to, they talk about the bone crushing pain. They talk about these things and somebody says, oh yeah, I'm tired too. Oh, you mean you're tired because you went to work and then you took the kids to the zoo and then you saw a movie afterwards and you stayed up really late and watched the TV and now you're tired. That's different than somebody who is chronically ill, who is so tired they can't even sleep. Now that doesn't make sense to us, you know, if, we, if we're not dealing with that, right? So connection is, a, is part of our mission. Uh, we have an online social network through a company called Inspire. You know, we have ways for people to connect. We're trying to connect caregivers together. We put on symposiums. We put on what was called our brain ideas. Idea stands for Invisible Disabilities Education Awareness Support. So in 2015, 2016, we did brain ideas. They were like TED Talk for the brain. Those videos are all available on our website and on our uh, YouTube channel. Last year, we put on an amazing uh, um, relationship summit called Love Ideas. I mean, we had everybody from uh, men are from Mars, uh, women are from Venus, to uh, five love languages, to everywhere in between, you know, all these amazing, we, we had caregiver panels, and we have panels on veterans and grandparents, and, and we're starting to release those videos again for people who, who couldn't attend last year. So that's another part of our education. And as I mentioned before, we go into businesses and really help them uh, understand the impact of disabilities, because what happens is... If you want to support an organization and learn about disabilities, you can focus on a disease organization, which is great. Uh, for example, MS Society, right? Or, or a bunch of different MS ones, but less than 1% of the population has MS. So what happens to the other 99% of your people that you're, you're trying to interact with? Invisible disabilities, everybody has a story. Everybody has a friend or family member. 
and we can talk more about the prevalence. You know, like I said, it's 80% of the people have a disability. 50% of Americans have a chronic illness, 50%. So you either have one or you know someone. Doesn't mean you're disabled by it, um, but it does impact your life. Like high blood pressure is the number one, and you can do some things to kind of mitigate that. That's a lot of stuff right. that you're doing. And what I'm hearing is that Invisible Disabilities Association is a big tent. And also the subtleties, Wayne, that we really need to be educated about. And this isn't just caregivers. This is anybody. Right. That subtlety that you gave as an example of somebody saying, how are you feeling versus how are you doing? Wow. I wouldn't even have thought of that. And I'm sure a lot of people wouldn't have thought of that. It's such a subtle difference, but the way that it's perceived or taken in by the person who has the disability must be profoundly different. Doesn't put them in that difficult situation of, what am I supposed to say here? Great or rotten? Right. Sometimes we hear, you know, hey, my friend, all they ever want to do is talk about their illness. I'm just like, ah, oh, I don't want to hear it again. I don't want to. And I always say the reason why they're trying to share is because you're not listening. You're not validating the reality of what they go through. And we hear this time and time again. And this is something that my wife dealt with. And this is why we started the organization. You can share for 30 minutes the difficulties you're going through. And then somebody says, you know, but you look good, right? That's the name of our book. Well, you just said whatever for 30 minutes, what they just talked about, you just disregarded the whole thing. Well, but you look good. It's like, it's not about, but you look at it. It's, it's about validating. It's about saying, wow, I, I can't believe what you go through. I would have no idea. I didn't see that. I don't know that. I don't know what's going on. Thank you so much for sharing. And then you know what they want to talk about? They don't want to talk about their illness anymore because they live with it. The problem is we won't let them share. We won't believe people. We get story after story after story, Jeff, that will break your heart of people who will, they'll pour out over five pages in an email of all the people that don't believe them. You know, we had a, a mom one time who uh, wrote us and said, you know, I, I just read your book. And we're like, oh, that's great. I'm glad you read, but you look good. And she's like, let me tell you what the reason why I read it is. My daughter was married for 20 years. She had three kids. She became chronically ill. So this is, a, she was working as well, very successful. She became chronically ill. Her husband basically said, you're just faking this. You're just having a midlife crisis. So he divorces her. He gets the judge to declare that she's faking. And so he gets the kids too. She's out on her own. And mom's like, oh, she's just faking this. So, so the daughter orders a copy of the book, sends it to mom. Mom reads the book and says, oh my goodness, this stuff is real. I thought she was just making it up. Oh, and it brought the relationship together. But we hear the story after story after story of the damage that happens of, of a doctor who was in a major car accident, becomes chronically ill from it. Her husband's a doctor and he doesn't believe her. And they ended up, you know, getting a divorce over this whole thing. Right. And it's like, even though you can, <laughs> I mean, the stuff is validated. I mean, I know of attorneys that that's happened with where they're just told they're faking it and making it up. And we hear it every single day. You hear about the notes on people's cars who park in accessible parking, and they're the most mean, demeaning notes ever that people put on people's windshields. Nobody wants to park there. They know that they could be ridiculed. <laughs> One of the fun bumper stickers we have that says, you can have my parking space, take my disability with it. Jeez. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's like, hey, you think it's a privilege to park here? Yeah. Try living with what these people are living with, right? 
they'd rather not park there. But the reality is for them to walk from the end of the parking lot, it's really difficult. In fact, accessible parking spaces are really designed for people in wheelchairs in most cases. And so a lot of times they're around the building and around the corner. Well, if you can't walk very far, it's actually hard to do. They're not necessarily focused on people with invisible disabilities per se. And I do want to make sure that we get to talking about the Invisible Disabilities logo and our um, and the wheelchair, because I really want to talk about the wheelchair symbol and that. So we can, um, I think that'd be something great to really share. We'll get to that. You're really sensitizing us, Wayne, to all the terrible things, sometimes traumatic things that happen to people who have disabilities. Right. I mean, I would like to think that I'm aware of a lot of this, but honestly, you're opening up my eyes to even more. Jeff, one of the things my wife says is sometimes what people say hurts more than the illness. Yeah. Wow. That's powerful and sad. You alluded to this, Wayne, and I want to come back to this. IDAs speaking on behalf of people who have disabilities. Do you have any rough idea about how many people we're talking about? Right. So um, worldwide, uh, the estimate is 15% of the people worldwide have a disability and 1.2 billion. In the U.S., it's estimated as high as 25% have a disability. Invisible disabilities is estimated about 80% of that don't use an assistive device. You wouldn't know. So that would be invisible, right? That doesn't mean that somebody who has a visible disability does not have an invisible one as well, right? We don't distinguish between the two. That's why we gave you, gave you the definition earlier that it's a symptom, something that impacts you know, like I said, you can have both. There's not a those over there with visible and those without invisible, right? So that's percentages. So it's it's funny. I always I always like to say, who's the most abnormal people in the world? People who climb Mount Everest and who run Ironman triathlons, right? I mean, seriously. Right. We think that those are normal. That's not normal. The rest of us are normal. We're dealing with stuff, and so many people are dealing with things that you can't see that you don't know. You know, you think about phobias, right? Think about fear of you know, going outside it, you know, there's a, a gentleman that I've met recently, a young gentleman over in the UK, who's a, a big gamer. And prior to COVID even, he had not been outside for over two years because he he has a fear of anxiety of going outside. He's 24 years old. He's got three children. But people don't understand that. They don't understand, well, you know, what's wrong with him? Why can't he go outside? Can he just snap out of it? You know, we think about these neurological things that, oh, you have depression, you know, maybe if you would be positive more, that would just snap you out of the depression. And it's not a matter of being positive. People dealing with their illness is not a negative thing. And we have done that. We've said that that's a negative thing. You know, you should be happy and positive. And one of the reasons why is we created the health industry. And our assumption is if you're not healthy, then guess what? You're doing something wrong. That's what our ads all tell us, right? You're doing something wrong. Well, there are some people that are unable to get any more healthy than they are right now. Right. And that's really optimal health for what they're going through, right? And it may be that they're in bed almost every day, right? And their Mount Everest might be climbing from bed to go make a sandwich in the kitchen, right? That's their Mount Everest. But we make this assumption that, well, unless they're CEO of such and such and they're running an Ironman and they're climbing Mount Everest, by the way, there are people with disabilities who've done incredible things, right? Who've done those things, you know? I'm not disregarding any of those. It's amazing what they're doing, you know? It blows me away all the cool stuff that people are doing with assistive devices and things like that. But we don't want to forget, and I would call them almost the invisible majority of people who are not able to do some of those things, right? Yes. Wayne, you have spoken about the challenges, some of the challenges that those with disabilities and their caregivers face. I wonder if you could 
speak a little bit more about that. I know there's stigmas alluded to that. Access, you talked about that. Anything else that you'd want to discuss so that we better understand what those who have invisible disabilities are dealing with? Yeah, so we we just recently celebrated the 31st anniversary of the American Disabilities Act. And if we think about symbols, I mean, what symbol comes to your mind when you think about disabilities, Jeff? It's probably the wheelchair, right? I mean, we all think about the blue or white wheelchair, right? That's what we think about. And that was a symbol that came about with the American Disabilities Act. It allowed us to see, you know, where to park, what door to use, you know, you know, different things. The accessibility is really what it was for. But what happened is over the next 30 years, that symbol started to become the symbol for, quote, disability. As I mentioned before, since there's this huge portion, 80%, who don't use a wheelchair, it creates a stigma for people with invisible disabilities. Not that being in a wheelchair is a wrong thing, or there's a lot of people that actually will use a wheelchair. My wife, you know, when we went to Disney World, of course, I pushed her 10 miles in a wheelchair, right? Wow. But I pushed her and we had to use a wheelchair, right? There's no way she's going to walk that far. But she doesn't use it on a regular basis, per se. So our symbol, which is the invisible disability symbol, it's a, we call it the eye or the eye person. Um, some people see it as a superhero with a cape. Some people see somebody breaking the tape, an angel, somebody with an arm around you. I mean, there's all these different things, but it's really a symbol designed to be inclusive for disabilities, all disabilities, invisible or visible. It doesn't matter what it is. And what it doesn't do is it doesn't point out, oh, it's a wheelchair. Oh, it's a hearing aid. Oh, it's a cane where those are folks very specific on groups, great symbols for those, but it, it removes the stigma of having a disability as well, because you don't have to be in a wheelchair to have a disability. And it doesn't mean that disability, as I mentioned before, is disabling per se, right? We, we've got to get beyond this notion of that disability is a bad thing per se. In fact, a lot of people, their disabilities have made them who they are and it makes them amazing things. You've heard of actors and stuff who, uh, you know, or where, where their particular type of disability does amazing things or people, you know, living with autism or whatever it is where it actually makes them a different human. It's who they are. It's part of who they, it doesn't define, you know, they're a, a blind person. It's a person with blindness, right? How does it define them and the amazing things that they're able to do? So those are things where we, we learn to overcome amazing things in life and disability can actually become a positive thing in that sense, where it can be something that teaches us about life and society allows it to be part of normal life in a sense. And we don't have to hide it. We don't have to be different. We always show a picture when we talk of a, a hundred people in a room who has a disability. Nobody knows. Everybody could. We don't know. Right. right? So don't make assumptions. And so that's really where that whole stigma is. Let's just not create new words, right? Things like, well, somebody's special. Well, what, a child's special because they're gifted or a child's special because of disability? Well, what about the child in between? You know, who's, that doesn't make any sense, right? We have people with disabilities and through assistive devices and learning things and other things, they're able to, uh, to be part of life and be part of this journey. We're all part of this human race together. Let's do it together and not apart. Yes, good points. I like what you're doing there at IDA to try to deal with these stigmas and these access issues. And you just gave us some good examples of that. While we're on that topic of what IDA is doing, it would be very helpful, I think, if you could share with us an anecdote or two of a person or a caregiver or even a family that you have actually helped as an organization. Well, being an awareness organization, it's a lot of times 
the people use our materials to help themselves in a sense. And okay. I give you an example. So a friend of mine here in Denver who has a daughter who has mild cerebral palsy. She was always concerned about it because she would tell people about it because of the stigma. She was concerned what people would think, right? She can't run. Um, sometimes she loses her balance, those things. But it was a speech teacher who actually said, hey, you know what? You should do some research and you should do a study on this. And she found invisible disabilities and our resources and information. She latched onto it. And what was really exciting is, is that she started to share it through speech and stuff. And she found the opposite happened. People actually rallied around her and became part of her. And she started talking about it. And what was really exciting is here in Denver, you know, one of the things we're doing with our symbol is, is we're working on nationally trying to get our symbol on driver's license and state IDs as a, a volunteer symbol. So that people can, if somebody's pulled over by an officer or something, the officer will see the symbol and they'll say, oh, this person might have a disability. Let me think about it. Let's talk about it. Let's, let's deescalate possibly in those things cool thing is in Alaska, they're using our symbol already. Well, because of this young, young lady, we were able to actually through, she became an intern for us. She petitioned the state of Colorado and over a three-year period, we just got past a voluntary symbol. Now, the next step is for our, hopefully that our symbol will become that voluntary symbol, right? Our goal is to do this nationwide, but this is a story. And what's amazing is, is she shared and testified before the committees and stuff and how you know, if she was pulled over, you would think she was drunk because she can't walk a straight line. And when the stress got too much, she would probably fall over, right? So it's this whole issue of, and this is what we find a lot of people are doing, is that they read our books, they watch our videos, they love coming to our galas. Every October, we have a gala and we give awards away. And these awards are given to people and their stories that they share is amazing. The inspirational stories or, or what they're doing in their business or how they're invisible heroes, which is a focus on people that are veterans and first responders. Part of that story, as you mentioned, lets people know they're not alone. Invisible disabilities is not saying you're not alone. It's a journey together, right? You're not the only person dealing with this, although most times people feel that way because they're isolated. Thanks for sharing that great example and congratulations on the success in Alaska. And whether it's your symbol or not, uh, the movement that's happening now in a positive way in uh, Colorado, right. as far as the license is concerned. Well, we're actually talking to, I think we have six other states that are putting forth bills right now. So, uh, and we're talking to other countries, by the way, you talked about global I'm we're yeah. talking to Australia and we're talking to other places or in Canada about use, use of the symbol as well. And hopefully we'll have listeners from other countries because we have 25% of our listeners who don't live in the U.S. Right. Some of those listeners may hear this and want to get in touch with you and find out what they might be able to do to move that forward. This concludes part one of our two-part series with Wayne Cannell on invisible disabilities. Please join us next time for part two of this series. Thanks for listening to this episode of Looking Forward. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something. I also hope that you'll tell others about our show. If you have any comments or ideas for future episodes, please contact me at my website, jeff-ostroff.com. That's J-E-F-F-Ostroff, O-S-T-R-O-F-F.com. This is Jeff Ostroff inviting you to join us again next time on Looking Forward.